Welcome. My name is Dan Smith, and today we're going to talk with Rob Talbot, the Executive Director of Josiah White's Quakerdale Foundation. Welcome, Rob, and thank you for joining me. Oh, great. It's great to be here. Thanks. Now, Josiah White's Quakerdale Foundation has a rich tradition that most of our listeners are not going to be familiar with. Who was this Josiah White? Well, Josiah White uh, was uh, ended up being a Philadelphia ph philanthropist. He he started out uh, just as a, when he was a kid, he his 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 father was killed in, a, in an accident, and so he knew what it was like growing up without a father. Uh, and as time as at the the time that he was living, uh, truthfully, the the life expectancy of of people was very low. It was actually age thirty eight that people was the was the mortality rate. And so what was happening in large cities, there wasn't many, there was Philadelphia, kind of Philadelphia and New York City. There was just a lot of kids running the streets, you know, not only was the life expectancy short, but they, they, they lit their houses with, by fire. I mean, there's just a lot of, a lot of danger that, that we don't have to deal with now at this point in time. But uh, there was just a lot of kids that were running the streets. They were not healthy. They were also causing a lot of, you know, problems that kids can do when they're young running the streets. So uh, it was his desire that he would create a, an organization or a, a way that, that kids could learn the Quaker way, which to, is to learn about God and to learn work skills. And so uh, what happened for him was he, he became an apprentice in an, in a, um, um, in a, in a hardware store, sorry. He was an apprentice in a hardware store and uh, and ultimately became became the owner of the store, became very wealthy and very successful uh, and did accomplish a lot of great things, neat things out in the Philadelphia area. And so when he passed away, he left it in his will that he'd like to have a, a place on each side of the Mississippi where they would buy a piece of land on each side of the Mississippi and uh, Quakers would go live there, and uh, they would bring some of these kids into their own homes and support them. So he was a man who had been orphaned, uh, got into business, um, did really, really well with business, and as a result, God put a passion in his heart for kids that were just like him and wanted to intentionally do something that would benefit. So I'm guessing that that's how this Quakenell part of the organization started. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? So through time, we need to remember this was uh, 1851 when the trust was established after after Josiah passed away. It was 1851. And, you know, a lot of times I'll say, you know, that's that's before Lincoln was president. That's a long time ago. And what even more happened in the 60s was that um, the life expectancy dropped by 10 years to 28 years due to the Civil War. And so, again, these kids, and they were putting them on orphan trains. They called them the orphan trains and sent them out west, and hopefully somebody would take them in, basically, is the way it was. And, and so lots of uh, ways that kids were helped, but probably starting in the late 50s and 60s, Quakerdale became one of the largest, well, actually, one of the largest organizations in the state of Iowa. Uh, and our sister organization, uh, White's Residential Family Services in Indiana, is, is, is as well one of the largest organizations in the state of Indiana. That's the other side of the Mississippi. So they, they 
basically these two organizations, they, they responded to the need. And in the 60s and 70s was residential care, residential treatment, where kids would come in and they live with house parent couple. And um, they would, um, you know, learn about God and learn work skills and learn how to get a good education. And, and then they'd move out. And uh, so our most recent, when we move into the uh, up and through around 2016, where that really all changed, um, that's what we were doing. We were helping kids in residential care with house parents, dorm leaders, and then uh, shift staff, where we would help kids grow and fulfill Josiah White's goals. Okay. So 1851 then is when Quaker Hill got started. And was it always in the New Providence area or where? No. Uh, again, Quakers were actually early pioneers. Uh, so that's why they ended up in Indiana. That was a big stopping point as the pioneers moved out. And then they got across the Mississippi. That was the goal. And that's where um, ultimately the Iowa Quaker Church started. Um, Salem, Iowa was the first uh, starting point uh, south of Mount Pleasant okay. where the land was bought and that's where it started. And then, so started out orphanage in uh, Salem, uh, Iowa, and then moved to New Providence uh, time frame, roughly. Uh, around 1960 is the, there was, there was a great, a great group of Quakers that were in the New Providence area, which is near Eldora, south of Iowa Falls. And th that group was very um, interested in supporting this uh, this type of ministry, uh, and uh, it was the middle of the state. So when it started, the state wasn't formed, but but New Providence was right in the center of the state, and so mm -hmm. that was the reason why they they decided that they would kind of move it there. The other reason was it had burned down; the orphanage had burned down for the second time. Uh, same same situation, heating and everything with fire and lighting things with fire. So, ah, interesting. So, yeah. so roughly uh, the '60s moved to New Providence, and then uh, somewhere during that period of time, then started working with the state in in addition to the orphanage. Or is that a transition that happened? Right, it switched. Um, we were the first training school for boys. We were the first training school for girls in the state. We were actually a school for uh, Indian children hmm. uh, through different, you know, political times that happened. Uh, we've just been kind of always ready to serve. And, and so whatever was needed, that's, that's the way we moved was, okay, well, you need this. We'll see what we can do. And that's the way it worked. And starting around in the sixties is when the real residential, um, it moved from maybe a, 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 a normal orphanage uh, to to really moved into um, contracts with the state. And we were kind of a pioneer in all that stuff to help help learn how to do more than just, a, you know, the old family house parent style. But now how do we provide treatment, therapy services, all those types of things? Sure. So originally when Josiah White was thinking about this concept, there really wasn't anything as a, like a state agency like the Department of Human Services or any of these kind of things that were going on. So the only um, mechanism to really help care for these orphans was, was an orphanage. Uh, in the move to New Providence, uh, then it as well as a transition that there were now state programs that could help what we call today, I think, at-risk kids. Uh, 
then you were able to kind of do the same sort of work, but just with those that were being identified by the state of Iowa as really needing some help. And of course, you uh, couldn't turn uh, your back on that and, and, and responded to it. And so that started the relationship with the, with the state. So tell us a little bit about the transition then, then to a foundation. What, what happened or what were the series of things that um, motivated you to move from continuing to do those kind of services to the state of Iowa to now becoming a foundation? Well, the state of Iowa, like all other states, they they make choices on how they're going to take care of kids and families. And I'll try try hard not to get on my soapbox here, but one of them is that the church uh, believers have really, what through time, you know, the way we started was people were helped through the church, and the church is called to help widows and orphans. And um, so that's the way it started. That was probably the biblical approach. Through time, then, obviously, the state got more and more involved, and the church got less involved. And they basically said, you know, if the, if the, if the state's going to pay you, we're not going to give you as much support. We're, you know, you're going to, you know, and so that exchange has been uh, an in, interesting and difficult thing, truthfully. And I, I wish it was reversed back to just being the state helping widows and orphans. And the, I mean, the, the church is helping widows and orphans, not the state, because that's the way I think it, it works best. Um, so what happened is, you know, you get these large bureaucracies in the Department of Family and Children's Services, one of the largest budgets in the state of Iowa. And um, so that means that it gets moved around it like a polit- political issue. And uh, at that point in time in 2016, the state had decided they were going to do it all differently. And without going into the details of it, our board decided that the, the approach that the state was taking was essentially going to take away our mission. It was going to cause us to be dedicated to whatever they told us to do. Our existence would be dependent upon if they told us and if we had followed their instructions versus we've got a mission. We're going to help kids and families like Josiah White, you know, put in his trust and his will. And so we made a decision at that point in time. We will no longer do the things that we've always done since the 60s and done well based on, on the choices of the state. And um, and the big decision there was um, we're not going to do residential anymore. We're going to do ministries that are separate from the state. And and that's that that was the precursor. Then there was the, the strategic issue that the the things of our world today are very litigious and the issues of working with people means that you're always at risk to be sued and we needed to deal with the fact of our world and uh, in that process at that same time around 2016 into 2017 the board decided that we're going to take and we're going to form a foundation to protect the assets of the foundation so that if a car accident or just a staff makes a bad choice in one of these programs, everything will not be lost. It will not all be shut down forever. I mean, truthfully, one lawsuit could just eliminate the whole <clears throat> the whole mission that started back in 1851. So we decided to develop a uh, a foundation that would hold all the assets, but would not do any programs. And then we would, 
partner with organizations who do help children learn about God and learn about work skills and, and having a healthy life. And we would take the assets of the foundation and help help those organizations be successful. Okay. So it sounds like um, Quakerdell has a unique ability to um, take a look at what's going on around them, uh, then examining the mission and staying, staying right on onto that mission. It sounds like that hasn't changed since Josiah White envisioned it way back in the mid-1800s. But then being able to modify the way that you do ministry so that you can continue to uh, fulfill that mission and maybe even expand uh, with what you're with what you're doing. So the the transition from orphanage to New Providence to um, residential treatment and now to this foundation was all geared towards making sure that we fulfill the mission that that was given to us by Josiah White way back in the 1800s. It sounds like. Yeah, so <clears throat> we all know that there's needs for kids and families. There's all kinds of needs, but the style of service that that they need or the, is very dependent upon our culture and what's happening. And you know, the the way we've always operated before I was ever around or anybody on the board was ever around was we respond to the needs and the opportunities that sit in front of us and. And what's what was really has been really hard in this transition is that so many people who are involved with us love the old things that we used to do, which are which were great. I love them, too. It's why I came to work at Quakerdale residential care, bringing these kids in, helping them, you know, know the Lord and grow and become great parts of our community. But based on the culture and and how things work today. That's just not possible anymore. So we we make those adjustments just like we've done, you know, for 170 or more years. Uh, we've had to make those changes. So it's it's easy for me to understand how an orphanage is meeting the needs of, of kids and families. Uh, again, it's it's easy to understand through residential treatment programs with the state, uh, you know, how that's happening. It might be a little bit more of a stretch to try to understand how a foundation's doing that. So can you give us a little insight in terms of how you're accomplishing the, the mission uh, and give us maybe some examples of what you're doing now that, that are helping you fulfill that mission? Sure. Yeah. That's, and it's, it's an ever evolving process. I mean, not, not unlike it hasn't happened through, it has happened through history where we've evolved and we've adapted, but um, since the foundation wants to provide a what we call a firewall or protection for the assets, it's very important that we don't do programs, but that we but what we do is we come alongside people who have a heart mission that matches um, the intent of Josiah White's trust and will, as well as our board, and we are very. Um, committed to to doing that. Uh, some examples: we had, we have a great campus in Waterloo, and it it, it is, is a block uh, in size, a square city block in size. Many buildings there. Well, um, when when we shut things down, a pastor talked to a lady who was in his church, who was doing a daycare. She had a daycare that um, was in a house. Uh, the the roof was literally leaking and caving in, but she was providing daycare services for kids. And she was in what, in a part of Waterloo's kind of rough 
um, and and a part of Waterloo where she really had a ministry for these young moms who were a lot like she, she happened to her. Um, and, and she wanted to minister to these young moms who, you know, even when their kids have trouble, they can't leave work. If we want them to be successful, they couldn't leave work because they kind of had hourly types of jobs. They have hourly types of jobs. So this lady would, you know, if the kid was a family member was older brother or sister was in school and they were in trouble, this lady would go to school and advocate on, on behalf of the mom who was at work. Um, she would transport the kids to, um, you know, often pick them up or get them to school, all these different types of things that she would do to be of service to these young men. She's women. She just really had a heart for these women and their kids. Hmm. Well, she was helping about 12 um, a, a week in, in that ministry. Well, she was able to move on to that campus that used to be doing residential care. Um, and within um, a year, she was working with over 120 kids a week. Uh, and that's only a small, a couple buildings on this campus. Uh, and now she works over with over 175 kids uh, a week, uh, a 24 hour a day daycare. Um, during the summer, she does camps for older kids who are normally in school. Uh, and it's just her heart. And so we partner with her, uh, not only in helping her get set up, but then providing a place for her to operate. So that's a really exciting one. Uh, there's lots of others that, you know, as, as you see on our website, you can learn about them, but that's a, a pretty fun one to talk about because that whole campus, when we did residential care was working with about 40 kids hmm. when it was fully packed is working with about 40 kids on the campus. And then of course we probably would work with, you know, 50 other kids in counseling around town, but. And now it's 175 plus and more than just, just, I believe more than just that organization is there at that campus too, right? There's several. Other yeah, there's other organizations. There's, there's a lot more kids helping, being helped on that campus wow. than were ever helped when we were doing the services that we were doing on that campus. Well, it sounds to me that by moving to a foundation and supporting the work of other people, you're actually exponentially increasing the impact that you're having in those areas, both in Waterloo and New Province, compared to what it was when you uh, made the decision in 2016 to um, to change. Yeah, that's the way it's working out. And, and I think it's really hard to go through change, but I think we're called to do that. I think we're called to, to realize that if, if, if a door closes, then we're going to go find another open door. Hmm. And uh, that's really what happened when the state back in 2016 said they're going to change how they're going to do everything. And they truthfully were going to, they were going to take over our, our whole mission. Um, and, and I think we're not exactly sure how this is all going to happen because Quakerdale's evolved for, you know, decades, but, but we really are excited about what we're seeing and, and we're seeing it grow and, and change as we move move through this change. Well, that's awesome. That is awesome. I've heard you use a, a key word a couple times in here when you talk about the relationship between the foundation and some of the other ministries that you use or organizations that you support. I believe you use the word partner or partnership. Um, right. 
looking at the time right now, we're not, not going to have time to talk about that in the detail that I think it deserves. So if you don't mind, let's go ahead and, and, uh, and wrap this session up. And would you be willing to come back next week and talk more specifically about what it means to be a ministry partner and the services that are available to those partners through, through the foundation? Can we do that next week? Yeah, that sounds great. Oh, that's Thank awesome. You. Thanks for doing that. Hey, if you've got any questions or you'd like to learn more about the Quakerdale Foundation, uh, their contact information is on the screen right here, or you can look at the description of any of these recordings and, and get a hold of them. Rob, thank you. I look forward to our continued conversation next week, and thank you for joining me today. Let's, uh, let's get out there and let's serve as Christ serves.